Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Meninga. In this episode, I talk with Kevin Garcia. Kevin is a spirituality coach, host of the podcast A Tiny Revolution, and author of the recently released book, What Makes You Bloom? Cultivating a Practice for Connecting with Your Divine Self. You can get connected with Kevin and their work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of a people's theology, the easiest way to support the podcast is if you gave it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, it would make my day if you would support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meninga. There are multiple tiers with great rewards, including papers I write and even being listed as a producer. Please enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. Today, I've got my friend, Kevin Garcia, with me. Kevin, you're a digital pastor. You're uh, a spiritual coach, uh, a theologian, an author. uh, And uh, I remember it was not that long ago, we were chatting about Bad Theology Kills. And now you've got your new book coming out. Uh, Well, I guess probably by the time that probably by the time that this comes out, it will already be out. But uh, you've got a new book. I'm so excited about it. It's called What Makes You Bloom? Cultivating a practice for connecting with your divine self. Uh, so excited to talk about spiritual practices with you. So, uh, with all of that said, other than you being a good friend of mine, who is Kevin Garcia to Kevin Garcia? Um, today I am so tired. The holidays. I need a, a holiday from the holiday. If you catch my <laughs> drift. But who am I? Um, a bearded woman. Sometimes. I mm-hmm. would call myself uh, a spirituality coach these days, dog mom, author, and, mm-hmm. you know, like I would say that I care deeply about the human experience and people enjoying it. I care deeply about people like learning how to end their suffering. And I don't know, like I, I would like to think that I'm a vessel for God's love on the earth, you know, but depending on who you talk to, I also might be the devil. So, but how I see myself, I see myself as somebody who is a teacher and I'm here to help people figure out how they're going to get, I'm, I'm here to teach people how to have a relationship with the thing we call God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you sound like a right? pastor. Good Isn't old Christian annoying? Kevin coming back out. Love it. To, love know. to see it. Uh, that you assume that that's the Christian God I want you to be in a relationship with. <laughs> so yeah, that actually, that reminds me, you know how like, Christian apologists, like they'll make all these arguments for like the proof of God, whether it's like philosophical proof or scientific mm-hmm. proof or whatever. But isn't it funny that they just always assume that it's just the Christian God? Like, yeah. what if they did end up finding out that God exists, maybe philosophically or scientifically, and it happens to be like a Hindu God or something? <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, that be it's, hilarious? It's actually, it's Krishna, you know, it's Brahman, it's, you know, Brahman, Vishnu, uh, Shiva, which is the the Trinity within. Here's the thing about me, like, what's so annoying about being, like, a, a woo-woo slash, like, someone with, like, who has a theology degree is that, like, I unfortunately see the common signs of good religion throughout all the different threads. So, like, in, like we got one trinity in Christianity. 
in Hinduism, in yoga, they got a female trinity. They have like a, like a an in between, like a non-binary trinity. They've got a male trinity. They got it like, and within those trinities, there are trinities. Like it's just the most beautiful way of understanding the multifaceted faces of God, and you know why pick one, right? That's right. It's like you know you get you get to pick them all. It's a you know it's like the capitalism of God. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's it's one of those really interesting things where it's like now that I I don't know I just don't like it. it people call some you would call me a Christian maybe, but I look at myself and I'm just like I don't even know what that means. Like, I know that some people can say, well, a Christian is X, Y, Z things. And I'm like, if that's your working definition, great. But like, if I am a Christian, I'm not just a Christian. Like, that's my, that's my caveat. If people identify me that way, you know, I love does that make sense? That's right. So it's not, it's not like you're like Christian husband, father in that order mm -hmm. or, or right. Christian husband, father, Republican in that order. Right, right, right. Um, I'm why I'm a uh, Proverbs 31 woman. Um, Christian yoga instructor <laughs> or something like that. In that order. Uh, Kevin, you've obviously written before. You've written a book. What did you learn about yourself in writing this book that maybe you didn't know about yourself before? Obviously, you're a person that mm. is constantly discovering new things about yourself. So I would imagine the book writing process is something that a practice, if you will, that uh, helps you ways. discover a little new little nugget, a new nugget about yourself. It was, I think what I discovered through writing this book was you know we're like because a lot of people are not talking about babies in bathwater you know it's like what what are the good parts of my religion of origin or faith tradition of origin you know what's still usable and i think that's what this process of not in some ways systematizing what i do and how i teach i realize that there is so much that i that I was learning growing up that was like truer than true. Mm. Like it was like, there's certain pieces from, you know, they, they taught me that God was love and I believed them, you know, <laughs> the, you know, there there's stories from the Bible that I look at now and I see them and I use them in like my own life because it's helpful. Like, for example, like I, you know, the entire book is actually the, the teaching tool I'm using is the fruit of the spirit. Because I think that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are actually pretty good virtues to try to cultivate. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that it's something that's just instantaneous. Oh, I'm a Christian now. I've got love. It's like, no. I've got peace. No. Joy. No. You need to... Those things are fruits, which means that sometimes they're seasonal and some, and they have to take time to be cultivated. Mm. So like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, asking to evaluate how's your life going? You still, you feel like shit. You feeling sad. You feeling bad all the time. What's your practice like? Your life is a latent, as a latent data point. Your current life is a latent data point about your practice. And so I think what I learned is that there was, there's so much good that is, that was still, that I, that I was handed so many yummy things that I was, that was handed right to me. And then I just actually started using them. So it was like, Annoyingly enough, like, I think I learned that I'm probably going to be in proximity to Jesus people my whole life, which is fucking annoying in some ways because they think that they have a monopoly on him. Hey, I saw you singing to Reliant K not that long ago. Oh, my God. F through and through. Like, I will gladly admit that I'm like, you know, recovering church kid. But that show is awesome. 
Like I felt, I mean, I cried. I full on, I was, I'm a 30, I was a 33, no, I was 34. I just turned 34, 34 year old human just sobbing on the front row at a, at the furnace fest. But yeah, I, I think the thing I learned about this is that there's things from the religion of my origin and my upbringing that are so helpful and so good. And you just have to, you know, uncouple them or decouple them from the bullshit white supremacist theology that we were handed. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I think that, I think that's one of the biggest things I wish people would understand is that you have to uncouple your idea of God from what the church has handed us in, I mean, big C church, you know, that mm-hmm. God is not a Christian, you know, God is mm-hmm. not a white man in the sky who's ready to punish you. And Jesus is not some jilted lover who's also your father in heaven, but also your brother, but also your Lord. Jesus for me has become teacher and friend. Mm-hmm. And that I think has been one of the greatest gifts of the journey thus far is moving Jesus out of the position of having to be the savior of my soul into the person who becomes the gate to God, the, the you know, mm-hmm. the path to life. Mm-hmm. So much better than having him having to be the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Well, I could see you wanting to be maybe a bride at least once. Oh, I, when I tell you, like I was gender bending before I even knew what that was because I was like, oh yes, I am the bride of Christ, which means I need to. Okay, yes, this makes sense. And so I was <laughs> developing a romantic relationship with a with like a with a a Jesus in my head, which in some ways is like a beautiful kind of devotion, but also a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more, Paul. I will gladly be the bride if that's what you wanted me to be. Listen, I was just, I'm trying to be. I was trying to be biblical. Still am. <laughs> Look at that. Look at you. I do want to talk a little bit later about the way that you know, talking a little bit more in depth about having that faith of origin that, in a lot of cases, has caused a lot of harm for a lot of people, both per- personally and obviously mm-hmm. like systemically. Uh, but how how to like sort of recover those bits and pieces that seem to actually be good? Uh, mm-hmm. I want to talk about that a little later on. But before we get to that, uh, another question: What did you learn about spiritual practices as you wrote this book? I know obviously this book's mm. a little bit more kind of memoirish, uh, but I would imagine there's like some level of research around like spiritual practices when you're writing a book like this. So was there anything that you learned about spiritual practices that you didn't know yeah. before? I mean, I'd say the book is like part memoir, but also part guidebook because I'm telling people like the step, like this is how I do it. Like this is how you like begin to change your mind around things. Yeah, I think I think this book was like the culmination, the culmination of all the research that I had done, like that I've been doing since I started doing my stuff. So I think what I didn't know how to do well, maybe like when I wrote the last book, Bad Theology Kills, which was just like the examination of all the bad Christian theology that was killing us. I think what I realized is that multiple religious belonging, which is a a term that I borrow from the the field of practical theology where I got my degree. I didn't realize that multiple religious belonging was actually, it's, I think actually there's so many more people who experience this and just don't know how to call it that, (laughs) where we are finding our religious language, not just from our religion of origin, but in these traditions that were being introduced to through the proliferation of information, through the proliferation of like having access to things like, mm, who were my people, including white people? Who were my, who were, who were my people before colonization? 
Who were we before the empire? Who were we before the church? And then also asking the question, like, who are you without the church? Who are you without Christianity? You still good? You still a good person? You still loving? You still kind? Well, that's, if not, then like, I don't know. doesn't seem, I, I think that was like the biggest part was like, I really had to embrace the fact that like, I'm, I'm all of it. I, I have Christian language and I'm also a full-blown yogi who reads the Gita and engages with it, you know, mm -hmm. who reads um, the Quran, who reads, you know, textbooks by witches and sees and finds God on, in all of it. Mm. I think the ability to say, to be able to like recognize God in all of these paths and not only recognize God, but to appreciate and attend to God within these different pathways. I don't know. A lot of people, I think like, I think, think some people like when we lose our religion of origin, like we start adopting new things and it feels phony for a long time or maybe for a while. But I think that there in persistence, there is such beauty. There's such payoff. Mm -hmm. because in the end like i don't know i have my relationship with god again i have mm -hmm. my relationship with my truest self i have a pathway to dealing with my suffering and being happy you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. and i think that so many folks um are kind of i don't know we're all a little like multiple religious belonging we're all like a we're not just one thing. And I think that so many people are stuck on trying to be one thing that it causes us to be stifled for mm -hmm. longer than we need to be rather mm -hmm. than expanding into the plethora of things we already are. Are you familiar with John Thetominal? Is that a name that rings a bell at all? Nope. John so Thetominal. he's a theologian at Union Seminary a in New York. theologian? He's, uh, he's sort of processy. I, I don't know if he would describe himself as a process theologian, but he certainly flirts with those people. Let's put it that way. Same. Uh, but Same he though. wrote a book called Circling the Elephant that I think you would really love. And he really dives into multi-religious belonging, but specifically, like, how should we think about this theologically? Uh, I, I think it, he sort of makes a more like constructive theological approach to that, uh, to the question of multi-religious belonging. Very, very fascinating. Highly recommend. Um, I did an episode with him a couple years ago. Highly recommend checking that out if you're if you're interested. I Drop think the title the of the episode notes. is something. Yeah, exactly. I think the episode's something about like, can you be Christian and a Buddhist or something like that? But John Thetominal mm -hmm. really recommend his work. He's really great. Um, but he I, he is a to me a very helpful theologian to think through those kind of questions. So good. It, I kind of want to get back to that the the point that I made around like having that faith of origin and navigating both the shitty parts of it, the good parts of it and how to, you know, navigate that part. Because obviously this book I think is really designed or written for people who very likely probably have some sort of religious trauma or grew up in a, like a particular kind of religious environment. Oh yeah. I'm assuming people who pick up this book have religious trauma. <laughs> Right. So uh, for many of those of us who grew up in like a conservative kind of Christianity, we had a lot of practices that grounded us. You know, there's prayer, there's worship, uh, you know, with with singing. And there's sometimes uh, in some of those circles, it's like communion is a really big part of that. So anyway, there's obviously these practices in those wor in that world that, that grounded us and, and meant a lot to probably a lot of us growing up. But then obviously we process through things a little bit more. We realize we've got trauma around uh, that religious environment. And so for some of us, we kind of pull away. And sometimes for a lot of us, that means we pull away from some of those practices that once grounded us. 
what is it about practice just in general? Not not necessarily the the conservative Christian kind of practices, but what is it about practices in general that connect us to ourselves and others? I think that I think that's a good starting point before mm-hmm. we get, dive a little bit more into that question around like how to navigate the mm-hmm. the different practices that we may have once grown up with and how we should navigate those now and all of that. But yeah, what what is mm-hmm. it about practice just in general that connects us to ourselves and others? I think it is, when I say practice specifically, what I'm talking about is the things that we're doing every day to reconnect ourself, small s self, to our higher self or God, capital S mm. self, divine self. I, it can, can you say, can you like differentiate that small self versus that the capital mm. S self? Like, what, sure. like what, what's the difference between those? Because uh, I would imagine some people might have like questions around like, what, what does yeah. that even mean to have like a true self or a divine self? And how does that differ from like this other self? One must understand that in any spirituality, what we're doing is creating poetic approximation for what we're trying to say. So even when I say divine self, quote unquote, divine self, it doesn't quite nail it because we're talking about mm-hmm. something that's ineffable, right. something that is, you know, we're talking about God here, right? Mm-hmm. Something that's, you know, beyond be- being and non-being, meaning and non-meaning here or there or nowhere. So when I say divine self, I mean in... In yoga, we call it the Atman, which is like the soul, which is like the, they mean it's the divine deposit of God, the creative force that is powering the whole universe, the thing that's making you go and continually be animated, the thing that causes you to be in like, you know, that when you hit the peace that passes understanding or a moment of just awe and inspiration, um, when you feel really, really good. When you are having a moment of incredible joy and you appreciate it, that's when I think we touch the what I say the divine self, the God self, the true self, the part of us that knows and yet never says anything. Mm. The part of us that speaks only through our silence and through our our waiting. That's what I talk about. So when I'm talking about connecting with the divine self, I mean, what are you doing every day to get in touch with source? Another word for it, source. Another word for it, peace. Another word for it, God. Another word for it, grace. What are you mm-hmm. doing every day to connect with grace, the power, the love of grace? And most of us who live in, you know, Western Christianity and capitalism have a distinct bi- mind-body split. Mm. Um, because we've been taught that you can't trust your mind or your heart and your body is a piece of sinful shit. And so your whole goal here is to continue to layer virtue upon yourself in order to make yourself good enough for God. The opposite is what I actually lean into more, which is you are good from the jump. You are very holy. You are a part of God's mind. And there's nothing your holiness cannot do. There's nothing that your holiness cannot heal. Your holiness is who you are at your very core, without even doing anything, without even trying. Mm. It just is. And so what we do through practice is remind ourselves of that truth, is remember what it feels like to be in a state of ease, in a state of pushing, in a state of receiving and being in the flow of love rather than thinking I have to work myself up into a tizzy every Sunday by dancing around on the front row and you know making sure that God sees me and getting emotional in front of people because I haven't had an emotional release all week and this is the one place I can do it. 
Mm. Rather than, you know, creating a codependent spirituality, which is what most of us have, we have to become spiritually independent people so that we can actually begin enjoying one another rather than looking to one another to fix us. You don't need to be fixed, first of all. There's nothing wrong with you. You just are growing up in late capitalism with a bunch of assholes. <laughs> and so when I say practice, I'm meaning why it's important. Why does it ground us? Because when you sit for even a minute and you just focus on your breath, meaning the mechanism that's causing you to draw in the breath and the mechanism that causes you to exhale. And you just do that for even a minute. Thich Nhat Hanh, God rest his soul, said that when you are concentrating on your breath, your mind and body become the same thing. Mm. And how often is that the case? And the reason we have to give our mind something to focus on is because when we become still, the choppy waters that are running below the surface, all of the thoughts that are running just below the surface, all of the anxiety that's running just below the surface is finally able to be acknowledged and seen. And it is uncomfortable for most of us. So what do we do? Mm. We numb. Pull up the phone. Why you pull, it's why you grab your phone however many times a day. No shade. I do it at least 60. That's what my thing says. But it's just, it's, it's beginning to notice. It's getting in touch because at the end of the day, this is not, again, this is not about being good. This is about feeling better. Because so many of us are walking around with low-key existential dread. So many of us are walking around with low-grade depression, thinking that just to suffer through life is normal. And I'm here to tell you that there is great love for you. Mm. And there is a way to experience it in your person. And once you experience it in your person, you can experience it in the rest of your life. What's up, a People's Theology listeners? I would love for you to support the podcast. There are a few ways you can do that. First, sharing the podcast to others who you think would also enjoy it and find it helpful is a great way to support the podcast. It's like evangelism, but for something actually good. I really think the ideas explored on this podcast matter, and I believe they are worth sharing with others. Second, if you're not totally depraved and use Apple Podcasts like me, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. It might not seem like much, but every rating and review helps the podcast tremendously in a world more predestined by algorithms than by God. Third, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meniga. It's like tithing, but for something actually good. This podcast takes a lot of time and energy to make, so supporting my work through Patreon is a great way to make sure this podcast can continue to be made. With all that said, please enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. You know, the way you're describing this, and this might be feel like a little left Bring field, it. but you're talking about these practices as sort of like, like coming back to what you're what you are that you know you're mm -hmm. sort of maybe i don't know if you want to say like original form or your origin yes. or whatever it might be but you're, you're but you're coming back to where you came right in some mm -hmm. way shape or form is or, or what you are you're coming back to what you are yeah, and be exactly who the fuck you are and and, and a lot of people probably have this might be a triggering word for a lot of people but say it the original word for repentance the original meaning for mm -hmm. it is turning yes. back is right? to change your mind. Turn around, Barbara. You're just turning around. And when you turn around, right, you just go back to where you were. 
where you, mm-hmm. where you are, right? And so it's really interesting how like repentance is really similar to kind of what you're describing, even though obviously lots of people have a lot of trauma probably mm-hmm. around that that word. No, but that's really but with thing. that if said, could... it is that that is what reminds me of the these oh, the way you're talking about spiritual practices is it's kind of this repentance, it's this turning back around and mm-hmm. going back to either your true self or your, where you came from or where mm-hmm. you are, but it's this turning back around to that. Yeah, turn back to love. Turn, you know, when when people say turn back to God, that's what I'm hearing. Turn back to love. I'm like, yes. Tell me to tell me that all the time. Tell me to because oftentimes, like what I think and what I hold to be very true for myself is that peace is the default in our should be the default in our experience. For so many, it's not the default. But that's because we've been operating in a way that's not conducive. And so, like you said, we have to repent. We have to change our mind. Metanoia, baby. Mm-hmm. We got like, and and when you can change your mind, we can turn around. Because like, if you're looking and you're going in one direction for so long, and you're told that's the only way to go, that's like basically asking someone to turn around. And but I've been going this way for so long, so many years on this specific path. And but then the question is like, well, where did it get you? What did it give you? Mm. But anxiety. What did it give you but low self-esteem? What did it give you but like complex PTSD? Turn around. Go the other direction. Go towards the thing that is causing you to come alive and stop making excuses for all the bad things. That's the thing. So many of us, oh, imperfect people. Well, fuck no shit, Sherlock. Of course it's imperfect people. But you can't just let, if someone's hitting you and you have the power to say, stop hitting me, and then move yourself away from the person who's continually hitting you, why then would you stay there unless you thought that you had to because you thought on some level you deserved it? Mm. Suffering is part of life, yes, but undue suffering can be escaped. And from where I'm sitting, I think that's part of the point of a good spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. I don't like Mm -hmm. suffering. And if I don't have to do it, I don't want to do it. And that's what I think spiritual practice does is it's – Earthseed, one of the verses from Earthseed by Octavia Butler says, kindness eases change. Every day my practice is a practice of kindness because I've been taught for so long to be mean to myself. Mm. I've been taught for so long that I'm just a sinner saved by grace rather than thinking of myself as part of God's plan, part Mm -hmm. of God's creative process on the earth. Mm -hmm. Like that's a much more interesting and more fun thought to me than. I'm a bad sinner who just needs to pray and read my Bible and go to church. Mm-hmm. The, the way you're talking about these practices and even the, the sort of purpose of them uh, and and why you do that or why you do them, it, it sounds similar to like therapy and what a mm-hmm. therapist would tell you. You know, usually when you go to a therapy appointment and then you're, you're finished up, they t- give you some practices or some things to do. Some homework. And the way that they talk about, like, this is why you should do therapy, yada, yada, yada. It sounds similar, but it's obviously not the same as mm-hmm. spiritual practices. And I know, you know, you, I know you're in therapy and that you're also doing these spiritual practices. How do you understand the distinction between the two, even though obviously there's a lot mm-hmm. of overlap? How do you understand the differences between the two and why those differences matter between, mm-hmm. you know, 
like I don't you don't seem to be the kind of person that would want to conflate oh what you're doing at therapy is the same exact thing as spiritual practices mm-hmm. or pr- practice or whatever um th- there does seem to be a distinction that you're right attempting to make or at least implying. I wouldn't even say like a distinction and I so, think that they complement each other quite well and that they, but they're not the just, same either right no they serve different purposes yeah so um, can you talk about what 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 are those two different purposes then right. that they're both serving um because that that to me seems to be really mm-hmm. important because what mm, what you're got, what it does to. seem to be is that you're not just saying like obviously like people should go to therapy but like this this book is not therapy like these are not therapeutic practices you're not trying to you know label yourself as like a therapist or no even they might people might experience them very similarly but obviously there seems to be two different purposes so anyway I'm curious what that is what are those two different purposes between therapy and these spiritual practices I think therapy is the place where you have somebody hold up a mirror to where you like to quote Rumi to to hold up a mirror to where you are bravely working mm-hmm. to say okay so this is what's going on right now this is like your therapist is there to say this is what i'm seeing in your pattern of behaviors do you see that and just basically to begin seeing you know chippingly you know pulling off some of like your virtue armor if you will pulling off some of like the the outer crusty things to get at the real you and they're like do you see there you are and therapy is a place for me, especially I have a funny enough. I have a hard time feeling my heart emotions. I have a hard time with my anger. <laughs> and like, I'm probably one of the angriest people I know, which is why I need my therapist to process these things. Therapy for me. And I think for a lot of people is the beginning place to start learning the, and trying on the ideas that maybe what happened to me wasn't okay. And maybe it's also possible for me to live beyond that. I think coupled, so, but, and at the same time, therapy is typically once a week, maybe, you know, if you can afford it, if you can even get mm-hmm. in there. Um, because therapy is, it's access based. And so at this, as much as I want everyone to go to therapy, I know that not everyone can go. And I would say at the same time, like, you know, like a therapist is good, but if you aren't taking what your ther- your therapist is saying to you, and taking them fucking seriously because so many of us we it's the same it's the same thing that happens on a sunday at church i go to church i get riled up and i live off of the the faith of this charismatic person standing on the stage telling me about their faith journey i go yeah i feel the feels and so my spirituality becomes codependent my spirituality becomes uh what's the word i'm looking for it's um conditional my Mm. spiritual like me feeling good is conditional on me being part of this church space and the same thing goes we leave those spaces my you know i'm going to my therapist and they're hoping that they're going to fix me they're going to give me the word they're going to actually tell me how to do it and so many times a therapist you know a good therapist you know is going to tell you hey like this is good but you gotta like it's a it's an everyday thing you got like you can't you can't just come in here and say I love myself unconditionally. You got to say that shit every day. You can't just like you know look at your 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 wild thoughts in therapy and not be examining them outside. This practice that I am sharing and giving people, what I'm trying to say is, this is how you take all the good shit that your therapist is saying and actually embody it in your everyday life. Because for me, I'm just like, I don't want to be in therapy forever, you know. I don't want to be in a state of crisis for forever. I want to recover a sense of well-being. And that is actually what I think the point of 
spiritual practice is, is to connect with a part of you that is well, mm. that is wellness itself, that is the sense of joy, peace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is right there. Mm -hmm. We can touch it. And a lot of people don't know that. I think there's something unsaid in your book, but is said, it's still said, um, mm -hmm. but, but you don't obviously say this explicitly. Uh, and I think it's actually a theological claim, and I'd love to kind of bring it, dive a little deeper in this. And that is, you know, again, this is a book about spiritual practices. The word spiritual has spirit in it. Mm -hmm. And you, you've talked a little bit before about like uh, wh whether you call it God or source or grace or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Clearly, there's some sort of a divine element. Even, I mean, you've even got the sure. word divine in the subtitle. Mm hmm. It seems as if the theological claim that isn't made explicit in the book, but seems to be there, at least from my interpretation, is that there is a, a breaking down of the binary of atheism and theism. You know, you're, really, you're really opening up this definition of God or source or universe or however you want to say it. And at the same time, you are certainly not like this sort of like fundamentalist atheist. It's like knows for certain God does not exist kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it seems as you're, you're really trying to break down some of these, th these um, preconceived notions that we have about God, whether you're a fundamentalist Christian or a fundamentalist atheist. Yeah. And so I I'm curious how you think through that theologically when you're talking about spirit and having this really open uh, mm -hmm. sort of definition or understanding of God because it seems like you're trying to break down, obviously, the fundamentalist Christian understanding of God or spirit in this book mm -hmm. and, and divine, and also you're breaking down the the fundamentalist atheist understanding of God, spirit, divine right. uh, in this book as well. So I'm curious, like, how you think through that, because w whether you put a lot of thought into that or not, that seems to mm -hmm. be there in this book. I would have to say that's a beautiful and astute observation, and that's exactly how I feel, is like, I feel very at home just like staunchly floating through it because science tells us a bunch of wonderful things about the nature of the universe and being, and even they don't know. Like that's the thing is like, mm -hmm. they're trying to like figure out what's going on in like the recesses and the dark parts of space and also saying, well, like, you know, the universe is going outward, but also it might con be contracting also, but also space might just double back down on itself or something. Like, they don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't know. And that don't know, that's where I want to live. Not mm -hmm. saying, there it is, that's God. I'm just like, but that's, it's mystery. It's the great, <sighs> of just like, I want to know. And the pursuit of that knowledge, I think is also the pursuit of God. I think that trying to understand nature is trying to understand, like is an attempt to like, is an attempt at union in some way. And I think that's beautiful. Um, in yoga, they talk about like the different kinds of yoga where it's like there's the yoga of the mind where you're just sitting and thinking and through that you're able to attain enlightenment. There is um, karma yoga, which is like how you do and conduct your everyday life. You do it um, without attachment to the fruits of it. And therefore you become, you find God through that. There is bhakti yoga, which is the, they would say the yoga of love or devotion, which is I, I would consider myself a bhakti where it's like I find the emotional sweetness of being in awe of creation and, 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 you know, what I would say being in awe of God, loving all of it. 
I was talking on, um, I don't know if they renamed it yet. It used to be called the Christian and the Atheist podcast, a atheist young woman in a, um, now she's a UU now, a Unitarian Universalist oh. now. But my atheist friend on there was describing how she was having a wonderful experience with her family at the Grand Canyon and how she was in awe of the beauty of it all. And I said, that moment of awe is what I call God. And she said, and I would just call that a wonderful experience. And I'm just like, sweet. Like that, that's it. There's no more fighting anymore. Just because mm-hmm. we like at this point, like a lot of us are arguing about semantics and I don't care what you call it. I just care that you experience it. Some mm-hmm. people call it freedom. Some people call it liberation. Some people call it love. Mm-hmm. And uh, but again, like it really doesn't, I can't make a claim. I was like, I can't say whether God exists or not. I think, you know, the thing I call God does that that word doesn't even scratch the surface. It's like you know Pete Holmes jokes and part of his stand-up just like my God is a possible thing, but not thing in the universe, which is holding it all together, but also is beyond all categories of being and non-being here and now, but just like that's a mouthful. And so I just call it grace. And just like, you know, when like, you know, I would say like I would say to somebody, isn't it insane that the earth just stays on its axis? And we just have the 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 we just have like isn't that wild, mm-hmm. and that's grace term for me. And if you and if people don't find, quote unquote, God there, and they just see some like, great, that does not matter to me. <laughs> I'm having a good time on my own because again, my spirituality and my connection to this feeling is not dependent upon anybody. Mm-hmm. And so, like that's I think I think that's where real freedom comes is when you really know who you are. When you really feel grounded in yourself, nothing shakes you anymore. I can even go home and like my whole family can say, hey, Kevin, do you want to go to our conservative megachurch for Christmas? And I can be like, no, thanks. And not sweat it anymore. You know, I can have somebody like fully like uh, like verbally accost me for having painted nails in public, which happened in Colorado Springs. (laughs) But it doesn't shock me or or faze me anymore because I know who I am. Hmm. Because I'm not like, you know, it's not dependent upon anything or anybody except for the consistency that I keep. Mm-hmm. That's it. And that, again, that consistency is not to, rem- to make me holy. It's to remind me that I can be if I want to be, that I mm-hmm. am, that it is who I am. It can't be stripped. This episode of A People's Theology is brought to you by United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. Are you considering exploring your faith more deeply, or are you called to ministry but haven't found a seminary that is quite right for you? When you come to United, you join a community that is intentionally open, socially aware, and theologically adventurous. United's passion is equipping leaders to make real, lasting change in the world through their many different degree programs, whether your vocation is in faith leadership, nonprofit leadership, academia, the arts, activism, or social entrepreneurship. And the best news is you don't have to uproot your life to attend seminary. United offers maximum flexibility to fit your schedule. Attend on campus or online, part-time or full-time. Their leading distance learning technology allows students to be active in the classroom and engaged with the United community. Want to learn more? Visit unitedseminary.edu forward slash a people's theology or click the link in the episode description and receive a $1,000 scholarship when you apply and are admitted. United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, training leaders to dismantle systems of oppression, care for the spiritual needs of a multi-faith world, and push the boundaries of theology.
you uh, have already mentioned a few different spiritual practices that you engage in, obviously yoga being probably one of the more predominant ones in your life. Sure. I know you got your rosary, your rosary beads. And so I know you're my mala. It's a mala. A mala. Uh, it's, different. It's, a, oh, it's a little different. So what, what are some spiritual practices that, you know, let, let's say there's somebody who has had religious trauma. They, they maybe are wanting to leave Christianity uh, mm-hmm. or have maybe for some time, but they're wanting to reconnect with some spiritual practices that they practice daily. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the, the sort of, I, I don't know how to say, maybe beginner ones, if you will, mm-hmm. that, that you would maybe recommend, hey, you should start out with this if this is something that you want to engage with. Uh, yeah, yeah. What, what are some of the really basic ones that you would suggest? Not to toot my own horn, but I have a zillion meditations in a library that you can have access to. It's on my website. Um, but starting there. And I, I'll tell people, just like, give yourself just one minute. If you can meditate every day for just one minute for seven days, start there. And I, I seriously mean just sit there for a minute and just breathe. Set a timer on your phone. That's it. In fact, I would even say that if you are somebody who has historically given up on spiritual practice, commit to one minute and just be really fierce about that one minute. And also do not do more than one. That sounds it's like, well, that's it? You just want to do one minute? Yes. I just want you to do one minute. Because if like if you can handle that, great. Then you can handle two minutes, and then do it for two minutes, and then if that feels really good, you should double it. Do it for four minutes, and if that feels really good, double it again. Do it for eight minutes or five. Just slowly every day. I did um, a class where we did twenty-one days and we meditated for one minute, and then two minutes, and three minutes, and we just upped it by a minute every day up to twenty minutes. And it is that simple. You can really easily build a habit. Two. Find texts that are inspiring to you. And I do not mean try to reclaim the Bible, because if the Bible is a hot button issue for you, put it the fuck down for a while. Go pick up the um, Essential Rumi, um, translated by Coleman Barks. Again, the, the title is The Essential Rumi. Read a poem of Rumi a day and just read it. It's so beautiful. Get wrapped up in some. It's mushy and delicious and romantic and yummy. You know, Rumi is somebody who knew God. So go hang out with him. Three, move your body in a way that feels good to you according to your own ability level. Because a lot of times, like, we don't love the body. Like, I'm, I'm so fucking serious. We are so numb. We don't think of our body as us or, or as a person. We think of it as a machine that is meant to be used to over. We're supposed to overcome the body in order to come, come to God. That's what we do in the West. In the East, it's like, I have to overcome my ego to come to God. And the answer is actually, no, they need to become one thing. That's how you find God. That's how you find love. So, you know, just like read, pray, and go to church, read your Bible, pray, and go to church, read something inspiring, meditate a little bit every single day. Five minutes is really, really good. 10 minutes is better. 20 minutes is really, I think if you are someone who considers yourself a spiritual seeker, 20 minutes, was it's really nice. Because sometimes the five minutes, like I'm distracted. But by the time I get into 20 minutes, my mind is calmed down enough that I finally come back to myself. Mm. And I, tr- I promise you, five minutes a day can change your life. 20 minutes will change multiple lifetimes, I think. Mm. And then read things that are inspiring to you. And also um, gather, with, I would say, gather with people who feel like family. I'm not saying it has to be a spiritual thing. I'm saying, go find some friends. Get a fucking hobby. 
Like, you know, start a book club, go knitting, go karaoke, do something with people that feels really, really good. Because my God, like we don't know. It's a lot of times like, you know, again, we leave church and like, it turns out my entire personality was being a worship leader for a while. <laughs> you know, you got to go find out who the hell you are. Mm-hmm. What do you like? And if you don't know what you like, start with what would be fun. If you don't know what would be fun, start with what would feel good. But those are the basics. It's just, it's, um, and if you really want to get like weird with it, read something, meditate, and then journal. And it's like, well, that sounds a lot like quiet time. Well, you know what? It's a good fucking model. Sorry. Use it if it feels good. Or don't journal. I don't care. But I I will say um, I'm a big fan of journaling in the style of morning pages as um, created by Julia Cameron in The Artist's Way, which is like, pick up a journal, write for three pages. Just don't let your pen stop. Let whatever comes out, comes out. It doesn't need to be deep. It doesn't need to be genius. It does not be, need to be a treatise on you know, process theology or anything else. It can be petty, stupid, uh, disjunct, um, funny. You can write, you know, write about the day you want to have. Just let your brain, like the way I thought about it is that like all of my real thoughts, the ones that are kind and loving and helpful, they're not my my real thoughts. My most helpful thoughts are below all my bullshit thoughts. And in the morning, when I take time to connect with source, with myself, with love, I'm more likely to be in touch with that part of me than on days when I'm not. So that alone is reason to do it. Not because you'll find God, but because you'll find yourself. Mm-hmm. And I would say, again, what's the difference? <laughs> the, the way you're describing these practices, it, it's really interesting. You, I, I grew up in the sports world, and obviously that meant like going to practice every single day. Mm-hmm. And you know, I still remember picking up a, a football or a basketball or whatever in third grade and realizing really quickly, I'm I'm not Michael Jordan and I'm not Tom Brady right away, right? And I'm not taking and, that and, Han and I'm not the Buddha. Right. But then I realized there was a time and place when Michael Jordan picked up his first basketball and Tom Brady picked up his first football and so they were at that, you know, whether they were in first grade or whoever, you know, who knows how old they were, but they picked up their first football and they were not the best football player or basketball player in the world right then and there. Right. Mm-hmm. They took years and years and years of practice. Now, obviously, they just had a lot of natural gifted talent, but they took years and years of practice where they worked really hard at this particular craft mm-hmm. and they got really good at it to the point where they're often regarded as the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how like how we should think through that in terms of spiritual practices not to say that everybody who ever does a spiritual practice needs to be the best person in the world right there's a lot of people who pick up a basketball and they do it because they just like to they enjoy it and they want to get as good as they can at it but that doesn't mean that they are trying to become the best in the world at it right right and so i'm kind of wondering like should we think of spiritual practices in that way of you know the beauty of that is the fact that like we all start out at some point Mm -hmm. at the same level Yes. And some of us get really, really good if we practice enough at it. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I'm, I'm curious kind of your thoughts around that. And also some of us have so many resistances to it specifically because like everything, there's growing pains. There's a learning curve. There's uncomfortable bits. And especially for seated like stillness practices for meditation, like the, when I say like spiritual practice, like doing quote unquote the work, which I really just think the work is 
learning how am I going to love myself no matter what requires us to start actually loving ourselves to, and, and to stop being assholes to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm talking like, it, it really is like these things, like we come up against our self-hate, our, our pre-programmed self-hate. They programmed it into us. We, we come close face to face with our own self-loathing. We come face to face with our own fat phobia. We come fat, you know, face to face with our own misogyny and patriarchy that we have built in. And it's so uncomfortable because we don't want it anymore. We don't want, I was like, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to feel that. And then the body's like, yeah, we'll let it go then. Mm. We've been carrying this around for so long. And so like, it's, you know, when, when we start off, it's just like, we think, uh, we think again, perfectionism. I got to be perfect. Therefore, as my father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 548, you know, that was the one that was burned into me. And that's not what spirituality, good spiritual practice is. It's just like, do you want to feel better? Do you want to pick it up? Well, I did it yesterday, but then I didn't do it for a week. Okay. Do you want to do it again now? Like, mm. it's here for you. If you don't want to, it's okay. Like, I'm not the kind of, like, unlike a sports coach, the, you show up, you win. Like I mean, like that. If you if you want to put it in terms of winning and losing, um, the only thing you're losing out on is peace, and the only thing you're gaining is peace. Like that's that's literally it. Mm-hmm. That's the winning and losing scenario here. You're not good or bad. You're not better if you do. You might feel better if you do. But you're not better than somebody because you meditate. You're not like as like you know we look at someone you know Thich Nhat Han, who's like you know was the preeminent Zen Buddhist master of our generation or the last generation. But I don't think, you know, he didn't equ- consider equality with Buddha something to be grasped, if you will. Right. He wasn't trying to get to that point. He was trying to experience himself, trying to experience the love that was already present. And that's another thing I think that we're trying to do is like, so if you start off with five minutes or one minute, or you start off with 30 minutes and it feels good. And then you don't do it again. Okay, that's normal. You should start off with something smaller. Like, just think of it that way. Think of yourself like you're in training a little bit, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. little bit of both and. I'm just like, but the end goal, again, like winning, being the best, simply just means I feel my best and I'm showing up as my full self in every single situation because I've practiced being myself and loving myself unconditionally. Like mm-hmm. that's, and so it's like, yeah, you start off, you might not feel it the first day. You might not feel it the first week. And if it's, you're not feeling it, that means that you need to find probably a different form of meditation because there's so many different techniques. Or maybe you just need to find a different practice. Maybe what I suggest isn't for you. That's the mm-hmm. thing. I, I'm not for everybody, but I will say that the majority of people who practice these, nothing I'm saying or sharing is new either. That's the thing. This is shit that I have learned and has been time tested. So I'm like, you know, it's like it's everyone, you know, everyone and their mom can tell you about the benefits of meditation. You don't need another book about that. What I wrote was just like, this is what it did for me. This is how it inspired me. This is how it's keeping me in the center of God. That's what I'm the best at. I'm the best at having a relationship with God between me and God <laughs> and, and managing that relationship mm-hmm. with me and me. So I'm pretty involved in a lot of like 
left movement stuff, protests, that kind of stuff, right? You know, yeah. the socialist world. And there is generally a lot of suspicion about religion and spirituality from that mm-hmm. world for good reasons, you know, with the way yes. that conservative Christians, especially in America, have been over decades uh, and, and hundreds of years. Certainly, I can understand why some of these left movements uh, have suspicion of religion and spirituality. Mm-hmm. But I will say one of many reasons why we don't see a very, very strong left in, in at least America is mm-hmm. because a lot of a lot of that movement work is not sustainable without good spirituality. Ooh, and, you can say that. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Can I get an amen? Uh, so I think that these spiritual practices, you know, whether somebody is a Christian in the left world or not a Christian, an atheist, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. as we've talked about in this uh, episode, does not matter. Yes. At the end of the day, I think these movements need good, intentional, communal, spiritual practices mm-hmm. in order for that work to be sustained, for, mm-hmm. for the good movement, protest work they're doing to be sustained. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about how maybe you've, in your own life you've seen spiritual practices uh, cultivate work for justice in the world, mm-hmm. or maybe it's in, yeah, maybe it's in your own life. Maybe you've seen it in other kind of movement yeah. protest groups. I'm, I'm, but I'm just curious around that connection yeah. between the importance of spiritual practices and doing good justice work in the world. I think that what you just said, the reason that so many of our own work has been exhausting for us for so long and why there's like, you see activist burnout, you see people who give themselves to the movement but they don't have anything that's giving back to them you know it's again it's that sacrifice model that my suffering does not matter the collective liberation is what matters. if you do not see yourself as part of the collective liberation you have no hope of bringing liberation Mm. to other people if you don't think that you get to have the same kind of beautiful things that you're fighting for love joy peace patience etc etc you know, dignity, rest. You know, if you don't think that you deserve those things, how the hell are you going to give it to anybody else? And I really am convinced that one of the reasons that Martin Luther King was so successful was because of his spiritual underpinnings. Yes. Was because he was someone who was connected to source, you know, and even him towards like, you know, as his life progressed, I truly believe he would have become you know, had he not been assassinated, a central figure in kind of like the religious left. Being in Atlanta, his church um, is still here. And so like, there's a lot, there's a kind of like a, in some ways, a tradition around religious organizing in some ways. So especially around things like Cop City in Atlanta, there's a huge presence of religious folks. And especially I would say like even like Christian pastors and there's even, um, an interfaith justice coalition to stop cop city um, where we're all kind of like talking about like, what are we going to do to take care of our people during this time? How Mm -hmm. can we help? And because I I think we're like, he's like, if you want to see peace in the world, but you don't feel peace within yourself, you don't know how to welcome that. You don't know how to cultivate that. If you don't, if you want to talk about people forgiving one another, but you haven't forgiven yourself, what are you asking for? If you want to talk about justice, but you're not living justly, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. the whole thing. And like, that's what, this is what spirituality does is it closes the gap between our perceived self that we want to be and who we actually are. 
And I'm again, I'm not saying that this demands perfection. I think it demands honesty mm. about who we are and what we need and how fragile we are. So within justice work, I think that this, this conversation that we're having here, like we're, you know, said another way, your emotional health matters. If you want to strip it of its esotericism and or strip it of like it's the word spirit, the emotional health of our community matters. And there are things that we can do to help strengthen our resilience collectively. And it's through practice. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. like again, strip all the esotericism away if you want to. Just go with the science of what of what science tells you about keeping a daily physical practice. Mm-hmm. And do it for that reason. You know, mm-hmm. do and like if you don't want to do it, oh, I don't want to feel good. I'm just like do it because you want to be resilient enough to show up for your community. There are like, you know, I could go on in 20 different directions like this. Mm-hmm. But find a reason. But like the, the thing about it is, is like that's another reason I want people to like get this book and start diving into this stuff is because we're at a, I think an inflection point in American history that if we don't start figuring out how to take care of ourselves and do mo- like, you know, show up for the protests and show up for the elections and organize people to vote around the same, the, the good stuff that we need. I mean, I don't want like, I don't, the, the American empire does not need to slip into fascism and we are so close to it. And if we don't find a way to take care of ourselves and with a full-throated, full-hearted say no to the bullshit that's coming, then it's going to take us. Mm-hmm. Maybe not exactly, you know, in our lifetime. Like people think, oh, it can't happen. It's going to be far. No, no, no. It's here. It's now. And it, like we, it, this is, frankly, I, I take this is serious business to me. Mm-hmm. And so I like so spirituality along with political organizing along like, what I think spirituality will also show you is that you do not have separate lives. It's not your church life and spiritual life over here and your sex life and your friendship life over here. When you're truly integrated, it's one life. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. And it is also a heavy thing sometimes. But I wouldn't have it the other way because the other way I was numb. Mm-hmm. And on this side of things, while I'm experiencing definitely a lot more sorrow, the joys, the absolute freedom to be myself. Mm nothing compares mm-hmm. so love that i hope that i hope that answered that question i feel like i went in a couple different directions no absolutely obviously there's endless number uh an endless number of spiritual practices but uh mm-hmm. are, are there any spiritual practices that you personally have not started engaging in but would mm. like to someday mm. that i haven't that i want to I think on I think eventually I would like to study I guess like more ceremonial like ritual like a little bit more like uh like I want to study more um Kuandarismo, which is um basically Mexican magic and medicine mm. um which is the uh my heritage and I'd like to learn a lot more about what those practices can do for me and also for my people but I haven't engaged with it because I've just been over here in yoga land for, you know, mm-hmm. a good minute. And it seems to be something that's really, really powerful. And I tend once I find something that works, I'm going to ride it until the, the, till the wheels fall off. So that's, Love that. you know, thankfully, I don't think this wheel is one that can break. I love that. Kevin, how do you hope uh, this book inspires and liberates its readers? 
I hope that the book, A Tiny Revolution, not A Tiny Revolution, that's my podcast. <laughs> Which you should also check out, though. You should also check out. It's super liberating. Um, I hope that What Makes You Bloom gives people the framework to begin, finally, to just start. The way I put it is, like, start small and mighty. Like, just be so fucking dedicated to feeling good to your own peace of mind, to your own heart, so that nothing can stand in the way. Not even your own doubts. I want you to be so in love with you that every piece of bullshit just melts away. That you get so in love with life itself that losing people, losing relationships, things shifting for you, you'll be able to deal with any suffering that comes your way. But also you'll be, able, be, you'll be doing it because you're moving towards joy. And, and as you move towards joy, you'll find people who want to do it with you. And as you find those people, those people are going to want to be able to like help change and shift things for you. Like said another way, revival. <laughs> <laughs> but not in the way you think, guys. I don't want you to get, I don't, you know, I want you to get the actual Holy Ghost, you know? I want you to meet Jesus so you can realize he's not the point. You are. <laughs> God, I love when you sound like a Christian. Isn't it annoying? I, I, it's my, one of my favorite parts of you, especially <laughs> when like the Southern ba- Baptist preacher comes out of you. Oh, hell, oh, oh, that's my favorite, Kevin. He he is. Listen, he's in there. He want he want to tell you. And also, if he's not careful, he will cry on stage. <laughs> but yeah, I really like when I like you know not to harp on the word revival for a minute, but I was actually thinking about this the other day. But that's actually what I'm talking about. I think. And I don't mean like everyone's going to give their life to Jesus and like change their lifestyle so that they're boring. I I really do mean I want people to wake up and come alive. I want people to be in touch with God. And I want people to feel welcome to be whoever they are. And then like let that be the thing that changes us and moves us. You know, I, if revival just means I'm going to go get my feel goods in a tent to have somebody, hey, do you remember that God loves you? And said another way, do you remember that I love you? Do you remember that you love you? Mm. Do you remember that? Like that, That's another thing, too. I'm just like, what if we stopped saying God loves you and we started saying I love you instead? Kevin, last question. How can listeners get connected to you and your work? And where should they get the book? Please go buy the book. It's called... What makes you bloom? Cultivating a not a spiritual practice, just cultivating a practice for connecting with your divine self. It's from Broadleaf Books. It's available everywhere fine books are sold um, on January 9th. And you can also purchase an autographed copy directly from me at thekevingarcia.com slash bloom. Please allow a week or so for delivery because I'm slow as fuck on getting things out. But you will get it and it does support me directly. Um, you can follow me across the internet at the Kevin Garcia. My website is thekevingarcia.com. Um, my podcast is called A Tiny Revolution. And if you're single and you want to take me on a date, I would love that. I mean, or even if you're not single and you want to take me on a date, I'd love that too. Because whatever. You're a fun date. I am a very, very fun date. I'm not going to lie. I'm a treat to be having. What? I'm a treat to be having? That is... <laughs> You, I mean, maybe later and, you know, at, and at the end of the date, maybe you could be a treat that the person that has had. had right? mm. But yeah, follow me across the Internet. The Kevin Garcia. Subscribe to the podcast. Get my book. Um, first book is called Bad Theology Kills. It's at badtheologykills.com. 
And also, please make sure that you rate and rate this podcast of People's Theology. Yeah, please um, subscribe to Mason on YouTube. Give him a like and a thumbs up and a little bell notification. Um, and share this because it really does help um, with getting this podcast and this conversation out into more ears. Um, I always like Love to do it. that because sometimes podcast people don't like to do that. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, again, you. you're a great friend. So excited that this book is out in the world. Uh, and I uh, can't wait for people to read it. And uh, also not only be transformed by their spiritual practices, but but uh, also be transformed by uh, how inspired they are by your story and your own spiritual mm. practices. So thank you so much for sharing more about it. Thank you for having me. And thank you for always being such a wonderful support. You are a good friend as well, Mason. You can get connected with Kevin and their work in the links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Menega. And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates. <laughs>